Welcome to Behind the Product, a podcast by SEP, where we believe it takes more than a great idea to make a great product. We've been around for over 30 years, building software that matters more, and we've set out to explore the people, practices, and philosophies to try and capture what's behind great software products. So join us on this journey of conversation with the folks that bring ideas to life. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. As always, I'm Zach Darnell. And today I'm joined by Dave Matthew, who is part of our uh, product practice at SEP. Dave, how you doing, brother? Doing good. How are you? Oh, I'm hanging in there. I'm I'm Zooming all day. We were just talking a minute ago about the theme song for 2020 should be all I want to do is zoom, 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 and a boom, boom, right? (laughs) That's right. I think think that's a good call. Uh, so, uh, our guest for today was Eric Prue, who is a co-founder and chief product officer at PackSafe. And they're a, a, a startup scale up really at this point here in town, here in Indy. Uh, we had a really fun chat with Eric, uh, learned a lot about his background and kind of how he grew up into, uh, being that chief product officer. I don't know. What, what did you find most interesting about our chat? Oh, uh, there's lots of interesting stuff in this conversation. Um, one of the things that he mentioned uh, on a couple of occasions was this kind of the idea of leading with the vision or mm. like having a vision for people. I think yeah. that was not just the customers, but also the people like inside your company. Um, I thought that was pretty interesting. It's kind of aligned to an idea I've been thinking about recently, which is this topic of like craft tribe or like who's on your team. Like, who do you mm-hmm. relate to? Like, you know, are your developers your tribe, are designers your tribe? And it really should be kind of a blend of, you know, everyone involved in solving the problem. And I saw that come out quite a bit in this interview. I thought that was pretty interesting to see. Yeah, I loved, you know, asking the question of what do you think are, you know, critical skills or crucial elements for good product managers? And, you know, he did leading with vision, you know, having an eye on the long view while being able to Uh, kind of work in the day-to-day. And uh, I don't know, maybe this is a little bit kind of what you might be alluding to here, this idea of bringing folks together to accomplish goals. A lot of product managers are not in an authoritative role. They're more influential. And I I love the idea of let's let's bring everybody together to accomplish what we're trying to get done. I thought that was great. So I, I agree with you. And, you know, I know that he mentioned an article that was written by someone at Dropbox talking about this idea of balance what you build. I've Mm. personally never heard that before. So that was new to me. I'm going to have to go find that article. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was interesting as well. And I had kind of, kind of written down the few things that they focus on. I thought it was interesting that they try to kind of keep this uh, difference between like metric movers and Mm. customer feedback and inspiration drivers. So it's not just all about like, you know, driving the business or feeding customer feedback. It's, you know, it's really just this blend and like, kind of, how do you feel out what the right blend is for that when you're building a product? Yeah, I agree. And of course we got onto one of your favorite uh, subjects, shape up. 
I know, yeah. I know that that's something that's a passionate area of yours, something that you think is really, uh, you know, a, a really powerful methodology. I'll be honest, you know, that's, that's not something I've read about it, but it's not something I've ever really tried. But what did you think about their adoption of that? I think they have a, it sounds like they have a pretty good balanced adoption of it. And it, it sounds like they're pretty new as well. I think he said they're in like their fourth cycle or something. Yeah. So yep. I think everyone that's doing shape up, uh, is kind of adapting it from the, the book that Ryan Singer wrote and mm-hmm. kind of applying a little bit of their own spin for what works and in their environment, which I think was the point is not necessarily it being like a wholesale thing that you do. It's more of, you know, here are some of the kind of critical mindsets to think about. So it's mm-hmm. kind of interesting to hear Eric talk about, you know, how, how they've brought some of those um, ways of thinking into PackSafe and applying them to, to their product practice. Yeah. You know, I think the uh, cool thing about that is that there, you know, a cool thing about product management in general, building software, there really isn't a one size fits all solution. You really yeah. need to figure out what works for you, your teams, your customers, your your vertical, whatever it might be. Uh, so it's always great to hear how people are adapting, you know, somebody's, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's a toolbox hmm. and uh, crafting what their own tools need to look like. I, I was loving hearing about that stuff. Yeah, I thought that was interesting uh, conversation around that as well. I think you know a lot of people are wondering, you know, how do I get into product management, or like, mm-hmm. what do I need to do to get into it? And the answer is really, it depends. If you talk yeah. to people that are actually in product, most of the time you find that all of them have their kind of own unique story or path, whether they came from dev or you know sales or design or project management, like there's lots mm-hmm. of ways to get into it. And it's all kind of like, I did kind of what made sense in my, in my path and my business right. at the time. And then, but I was just always kind of this curious, uh, passionate problem solver. And I kind of got, you know, bored <laughs> sure. with how things worked. And I kind of always looking for, you know, that, that next thing to learn that that's the one theme that I feel like kind of emerges when you talk to most product people, but yeah. the path is always unique. Yeah, well, and he even talked about how his path was not, there was not some classically trained, he is not some classically trained product manager. Uh, He did come from, you know, a little bit of solutions engineering, sales engineering. It's kind of describing kind of those early years consulting and then jumped into product and it just happened to be a good fit. And yeah, that's a good point. I feel like a lot of the folks that I talk to, it is, they, they come from diverse backgrounds uh, but really uh, tend to have a, a, a passion. Maybe that's the unifying yeah. uh, attribute or a unifying attribute amongst product managers, a, a real passion for solving complex problems, working with people and meeting needs. I, I think that that's, you know, those, that, that nice mix of skill sets or at least passion areas is usually there, whether that they come from one specific discipline um, and then being able to be, I think we talked a little bit about this, this idea of being conversant um, across disciplines, even though you may yeah. come from a single, I think that's great. Uh, and I, you know, one of the things we talked about with him um, was this idea that you can have all of these tools, these, uh, this training, you know, there's been a lot more, you know, formal education, books, courses, certifications around product management in recent years. But really, I mean, there's a real art to the idea of product management and it's not unique to product management, but 
uh, it's interesting to hear that um, and understand that there's there's no single path to come yeah. to that point. And it really is a mix of your own journey and things that you continue to grow and learn in. So that was really yeah. fun. It involves a lot of soft skills, which is, yeah. you know, that's the interesting part. And I think we talked a little bit about asking questions. That's also a mm-hmm. pattern that I kind of see with people is that, you know, getting good at, I think Eric used the term peeling back the onion, which is, mm-hmm. you know, good. Like how do you, how do you get to the the heart of understanding uh, what matters around a problem? How do you get good at answering or asking questions? Um, I thought his sales consulting background for a while, kind yeah. of being part technical and part, you know, kind of part of the big sell to customers. Um, that was interesting. And it sounds like a lot of like, you know, helping customers and asking question, customers, you know, what, what do you need? What are you trying to do with this? Uh, and to, to me, that relates a lot back to, to my experience at SCP, you know, kind of in that being the consultant instead of necessarily the product builder ourselves. Like that's something that, that I think we've got pretty good at is, you know, we have to ask a lot of questions every time we have a new customer. So it's something I, I feel like I've purposely had to kind of skill up on. Like I, I like to say I, I'm a management consultant disguised as a software engineer <laughs> when I come into a, a new a new engagement because like it's it, it's a lot about like you know that that questioning and understanding piece before you really you know can kind of start moving with intent. Uh, I I agree. I think that you know consulting in general is great experience. It can it can give you. Um, uh, some breadth of experience, um, and can give you some unique experience versus maybe working inside of a, of a product company where you can tend to be a little bit more, uh, maybe focused. Uh, that's not always the case, but, um, it can be that way. Yeah. All right, Dave. Well, I appreciate you joining me for this one. And without any further delay, here's the show. Hope you enjoy. I mean, before we get into this, well, I guess we could just make this part of the conversation. You know, how, how how's everything going? How's PackSafe? How's the team? How are you doing? Uh, well, you know, every everything's going surprisingly well. I mean, um, you know, we had we didn't have the the best quarter as far as closing new business. You know, like like sure. many other companies, we didn't didn't hit the targets that we had set for ourselves. But you know, I, we we did we did well overall and we built more pipeline in Q2 than, than I think we'd ever built in the history of the company. Um, That's awesome. Which, which is a good indicator that, you know, companies really are interested in moving digital and doing more things um, digitally um, as it goes. Uh, (laughs) And, you know, I I think in a lot of cases with some of our bigger deals specifically, you know, people just weren't in a hurry to buy or, you know, they came to us later in the quarter. Um, But the the team's been in good spirits. Everybody's been able to to be productive at home. We were were set up pretty well for it um, prior. So, you know, it's overall, it's gone well. I mean, personally, I have two children under the age of three. So, it's definitely just been just been a personal challenge trying to mm-hmm. find the time to get everything done. But uh, but but overall, we've been very encouraged by how things are going. And uh, I, I think, you know, as things start to open up, at least for the businesses that, that we serve, 
you know, they've, they've been function generally we, we work with a lot of more technology oriented companies. So they either had a, a friendly environment to remote work or migrated relatively easily. So they weren't disrupted too much. Um, and we also don't really serve a lot of industries that were so heavily affected. Like we have a couple of our customers that serve those industries that have, we've been, been able to be flexible with, but um, luckily not, not too much disruption overall. And really our number one goal was, you know, no reduction in salary, no reduction in force for the team. Um, yeah. we're, we were able to achieve that, you know, during this time. Awesome. So hopefully nice. the second, the second wave will, will be able to sustain that as well as it's coming. That's good. Hmm. Well, you know, as you kind of said, your pipeline's building up and I wonder if, you know, a lot of companies are just a little sheepish to spend mm-hmm. money right now, but they recognize that they're going to have to go more digital, mm-hmm. um, be a little bit more, uh, remote friendly. And, you know, maybe, maybe the second half of the year will indicate that, uh, as far as sales go. Uh, but as far as, is uh, work challenges from working from home, you're in good company. Uh, mm-hmm. Both my boys are under five and Dave has three. Yeah. How old are your twins now? Uh, like 11 ish month twins there you oh go. and God. boys and a, and a three and a half ish year old <laughs> girl. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Poor so we're, 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 you have a lot of empathy in the, on this on this call, <laughs> that's so funny. My my wife and I were talking about. I think I think having twins second would probably be the toughest because you you know how hard one is, and then you're like, oh my god, and we're gonna have two. Um, yeah. So bless you. That's not it, it made one. It made one seem like the easy days. So yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And they're both just starting to kind of get to the point where they're thinking about walking. They're kind of standing up in the pens and stuff. So mm-hmm. we're, we're about on the verge of mass chaos. We're not quite oh, there, yeah. but we're real close. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. So let's talk about a little bit of this and the actual work behind it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, so Eric Peru, Chief Product Officer, PackSafe, um, you've been doing this for a while. Would you mind... Just walking us through your journey to PackSafe. Give us the quick history run. Yeah. Um, so I've always been in, in obsessed with technology. I mean, I think early on, I mean, I was a, a teenager and uh, got, got a book on HTML, was getting more into the internet as it was becoming a thing. Uh, you know, this was gosh, would have been mid to late 90s. It was really the heyday of the internet where, you know, people were coming out of school, making tons of money, working at these dot-com tech companies. And so I graduated from high school in 2001. And um, obviously, after at that point in time, that's kind of when everything blew up and started slowing down from a from a job perspective. But my my passion was still there, you know, as far as the use of technology to solve problems, the power of the internet, getting into the dynamic nature of, of web applications and really kind of seeing the potential of what that could do. So I wanted to build them um, just because I was so interested in, in what could be done. And um, there, I had all sorts of ideas of, of what I thought uh, needed to be solved um, using a web application. And 
got a, a degree from Purdue in computer graphics technology, which was a, a hybrid graphic design, web design, web development kind of kind of degree at the time, and developed out of school and just just found I'm not I do not have the nature of a developer. Um, you know, I don't don't like to lock myself in a room in a dark room for for days at a time and, and come out with something amazing. I just didn't I didn't have the attention span or level of detail for it. Um, so I migrated and, and got a job at a, a software company here in town called Exact Target. Um, they're about mm-hmm. 250 employees and moved into into consulting. And that was that was a lot better for me where, you know, I, I got to, to play with the technology. We were selling email marketing technology, but it was a lot more than that. You could do relational data. You could write code inside emails. So, again, it was, it was really I was allowed to show and, and demonstrate the art of the possible with the platform, which um, really got me interested in how these products are built and how who decides how they're built and why they're built and all that sort of stuff. And I had all this experience on the front line to know uh, what the market was saying, what people need. And then I had the technical aptitude to translate that into something that could actually be built. Um, And so, and and I had a lot of good business experience too. So I'd always wanted to live abroad. I never got that chance in college. Um, And was able to, to move abroad as, as exact target expanded internationally and, and, and got some really good business experience overseas, learned from some really smart people over there. So, um, when I came back, I felt I I'd done kind of done my thing. I've been in, in consulting for five years and said, you know, okay, now I want to, I want to make products and kind of migrated over to that, to the product leadership team there. And, was tasked with, with building a new product line there and had a ton of fun, um, built up the, the team that was working on, on my products up to up to 65 people, which was awesome. It was great to kind of be a part of every single aspect of that journey all the way from deciding what, what the, the new thing was going to be called, what it was going to do all the way through to now figuring out how to integrate all these people so that they, they work well together and, they're, you know, inspired to build great things and they don't burn out and all that sort of stuff. So after all that, you know, obviously for those that know exact target, it was acquired by Salesforce in, in 2013. And I stayed on for about 18 months after that. And then just, just kind of got the bug to, to go small again and, and to build something from the ground up. And um, Brian Powers, who's the CEO of PackSafe is a, a good good friend of mine, a guy I've known for 20 plus years. And, um, he told me his idea was starting to have, get some traction and he needed somebody that had, that knows SaaS, that knows how to sell it, that knows, you know, how to build it. Um, and so that's, that's kind of how I landed at PackSafe. And then, uh, I brought over one of the smartest people I've ever met, who's our chief technology officer now, um, the kind of, work with him to, to really build what we've got today. And so, you know, we've been at it about five and a half years at this point. Seems crazy. Seems like 10 and a half years really, but. (laughs) (laughs) I bet. I bet. Yeah. I mean, especially five years in a startup, it's probably 50 years for, you know, bigger companies. 
Yeah. <laughs> I was just saying my hair was brown when I started. I've uh, gotten a few gray hairs since. Yeah. So, all right. I want, I'm curious. I'm going to kind of go back to when you talked about coming back from being overseas and kind of migrating more into the product space. What do you feel like you learned prior to that point that prepared you to dive into more of a quote unquote product management role? Like what were the things and skills that you, you had and, and developed to get to that point? I think, um, you know, what, what was really important for me is, um, because I was, I was supporting the sales organization and it, it was like a sales engineer, solutions consulting type role that I wor- worked up through, uh, within the company. Um, it was really, I learned so much about just the importance of listening to what, what people are saying. And, um, because I was having so many conversations all the time, a lot of people were started asking for the same things or have had similar problems. And, you know, I, I could just, I got really good pattern recognition through that, you know, learning by necessity, right? Because you've got sales reps that want you to get on the phone and, and listen to what they're trying to say and figure out if we can solve a problem for, for somebody without needing to involve the product team. Um, so I was really the front line for a lot of, a lot of customer conversations. And I loved that. And I love being able to translate and share that with the product team. And ultimately what, how that evolved is I said, well, how great would it be if I could take this feedback and all this experience that I built and in knowing our customers, our market, our vision, like, because I'm hearing our vision all the time. Um, from our executives because I was working on big deals a lot um, and I can translate that into actually building something that does what I believe because I believe in the vision I bought in so now I want to contribute to helping realize that vision Um, and and that's really what was I'm very passionate about the vision of whatever I'm kind of working on at the time Um, and I was very bought into the exact target vision, what we were trying to do. So I felt uh, compelled to, to contribute to it in whatever way I could. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of thinking back to when you and I met. I was roughly two years ago-ish. I think you spoke at um, Project Product. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think in Carmel, if I remember correctly. And um, one of the things I was, I was really curious about to kind of expand on, and maybe you can, I don't know, just talk about it at a high level, Um, you know, do you feel like you could define like what your product management philosophy or style is? You know, I know that you have product managers at PackSafe Mm -hmm. that, that work on various aspects of your portfolio of, of, of products. You know, how do you, what influenced and how do you define the practice of product management at PackSafe? How do you, how do you coach and mentor those folks? Yeah. Um, I think it has evolved a lot over time as far as how I think about product management, um, sure. especially my philosophy. You know, I mean, my philosophy is very, um, very much a traditional. I, I mean, I don't have traditional product management training. I didn't never read any books going into it or anything like that. Didn't didn't get any certifications or or anything really, which I I definitely should have in in hindsight, Uh, or maybe not, I don't know. But 
really I've, I've focused a lot, like my skills, my um, experience has lended itself really well to lead with the vision and getting everyone in line with the, the long term of what we're trying to do, including customers, including your team, including, you know, the CS folks that are working with customers, the sales folks, like, I'm very much a believer as a product manager that your job is to constantly be selling your vision so that when you have to tell somebody no, or when you have to have a hard conversation with somebody to say, we can't do that right now, they, they are, they have insight and transparency into why that would be right. It's very hard to deliver bad news as a, as a product manager. I don't like doing it. Um, but you kind of get used to it over the years, I guess, but, um, you know, so, so I think that's something that, that not every product manager has. I think the discipline of product management is, is very, very learnable, right? And it's not something I've spent a ton of time really learning. I trust my, my product managers to kind of do that. Um, but I think the, the act of building consensus, of getting buy into your vision, of listening and proactively reaching out to customers um, to, to get their thoughts or to ask them questions about what they think about that, I think is, that's really one of the intangible philosophies that I definitely believe in strongly that um, I've tried to weave into the principles of how we build product at PackSafe. And I've actually broken it out into a document that I, I sh I've shared with the entire company of of the principles of product at PackSafe, the three P's, if you will. Um, and that's, um, you know, various things of why we build what we build, how we make decisions, how we weigh the things that we're building. So I read a really good blog post by, I think it was a VP of product at Dropbox. And he talks about the three categories of things that you build and how you need to balance things. We, we haven't done a great job of, of balancing what we're building. Um, but it starts with, um, you know, the vision and where we're trying to take the platform and then North Star metrics for what we're trying to measure and ultimately drive, um, whether it's business metrics, product usage metrics, et cetera. And then um, from there, you know, you have the metrics mover features. So what are the things that we can build that are going to move the needle of those metrics? Um Two, what are the customer requests that you're that you're handling? And then three, you know, what are what are the what are the we call them inspiration drivers, but what are because our platform is trying to get people to try something different, to do something new um, that is a little bit more innovative than traditional ways of doing things, of signing contracts in this case. Um, so what are we doing that's helping inspire our customers to do innovative things? And it's a new concept that, that we've just introduced that I've always believed in and we've done a pretty good job of, but the, the past couple of years, as we've grown and, and trying to scale winning bigger customers, they have needs, we've got to build stuff for them, et cetera. So now it's, it's going to be part of our discipline to ensure that um, even if a customer request has to wait, we will be doing uh, some of those inspiration drivers as well. Um, so as far as philosophy, I think, you know, the, the vision piece has just been really important. But uh, now that we've we've grown, we've, we've gone from one product manager to two product managers. <laughs> so it's not like we're a big team, but, uh, you know, making sure that we have the, the foundation principles in place of 
how I, I think we should be doing things. I like that you used the, the phrase earlier, the art of the possible. Yeah. So I think mm-hmm. that that is, to, to me, that pretty succinctly summarizes what really the core of a product manager is, is mm-hmm. like, and, and that, that, that's a relative thing, right? The possible to who and for what, right? So you know, possible to the customer, possible to the team, mm-hmm. you know, like everyone, that means something different to everyone. So being mm-hmm. able to kind of adapt um, your communication style and kind of know the expectations on the other side um, like where the conversation needs to go. Like, like I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. It's it's very important. I mean, if you, if you think about, um, painting a a picture of what you're building, um, a lot of times you can get stuck in the weeds on how things should work today. And so I think, I think it also relates back to like, Hey, like this is where this thing can go. And, that can help. I mean, that helps everything. If you have, if you're connected to the vision, um, I, th- I think it's important, you know, to, to paint the big picture for where things can go. Do you so, give us any extra okay. insight into kind of where you're, you talked about decision-making being, being a pretty important thing as well. Is there any kind of tips or tricks or kind of views of the world for like how you guys work through how you make different decisions? Like, is that dependent on the particular piece of work that you're doing? Um, just kind of curious how you work through that. Um, so we have been, that's a good question and, and something we have definitely struggled with. I think it's, you know, we had to function for like four years without a designer um, which can, can put you into some interesting decision-making buckets because you're limited to kind of your skill sets. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and that has helped with decision-making, you know, I think for, for me, um, one light bulb moment I've had in, in decision-making, I think one of the most important decision-making components of product management management is as it relates to, to scope and kind of realizing deliverables of work. Um, we, we struggle with that massively of like hitting deadlines, estimating things properly, et cetera. And I think really what it came down to, so we switched to, to Basecamp's shape up development methodology and we love it. Um, it's the most product we've ever built. Um, it's the most productive product we've ever built. We're closest on how long we think things are going to take. And for me, the, the light bulb moment was, um, when you're, you're deciding what, what's going to be built, it's important to assign how much time that thing that you're building is worth to you. And then working backwards from that to establish, um, the scope of the work, um, and saying, okay, well, if, if I have a feature that I only think is worth two weeks of our time to build, um, then we should scope something that only takes two weeks. Right. And that is mm-hmm. such an, a simple concept. Um, but it's one where development teams typically fall down because product managers are very attached to what they think should be in that thing that's being built and yeah. need to need to let go pieces of, of that scope in order to, to get it done in with that appetite. If that makes sense. Yeah. How do you guys kind of determine appetite? Um, like what is your, what is your kind of implementation of shape up look like? I've 
followed Ryan Singer and a lot of that pretty closely. But I'm, uh, from my take, most of the things that they do at base camp, it tends to be uh, the cycles tend to be more execution oriented, where the things that feed those cycles, like jobs to be done or or other kind of ways that you get ideas to build um, is, is still a little different. So like as kind of a shape up practitioner, I'm kind of curious, like what that looks like in your world. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a great question. So we're, we're on our, we're on our fourth cycle. Um, so, you know, we're still pretty new into it, but I, one thing I love about the shaping process, and, and we follow we, we follow it mostly mostly by the book, where you have uh, you write a pitch, and then in that pitch you set an appetite for um, you know how much time you want to allocate to it, and a lot of it is based on capacity of the team, and say okay we have we only have so so many resources, and we want to get all these things done um, inside of a inside of a cycle. And then um, we assign that that appetite, and then effectively write out what we think the solution is. How does it align to our product vision? What's the problem statement that needs to be solved? What do we foresee as the rabbit holes? And we try to, to vet that as much as possible prior to going into prior to going into betting. And then effectively, we take uh, take all the pitches to the betting table, which is a a list of, of key executives or stakeholders in the company share what we're thinking. We've actually built like a, a prioritization matrix where everybody kind of votes on, you know, one through six or seven on what they think is most important. And then ultimately the, the product team will decide what gets built. And then after that, we'll go into a real shaping of work during cool down with the development team to say, yeah. okay, this is the appetite. This is what we want to build. Um, do we need to peel it back? Can we add stuff? Most it's, it's never, can we add stuff? Right. But, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> never, nobody ever asked for more stuff. right? Yeah, that's right. Um, so, you know, we're, we're usually peeling back scope and then it's product and, and engineering kind of deciding, um, what's okay. What's a worthwhile trade-off. What's not, you know, what, what, what do we have to do? And then it, if we do need to adjust, um, appetite here and there, uh, we, we can, but, but typically we, we agree on the scope and the app, or we agree on the, on the pitch as, as a whole, um, and the appetite assigned to it. And then we can shape the work at a little fine, finer grain detail during cool down after the cycle's been, after the previous cycle has been completed. What has that done to, let's say, b backlog management or like what's your kind of your philosophy on either roadmaps or backlogs? I know that's kind of <laughs> when that kind of intersects with shape up. I'm oh, man. always interested you're, to see how that works. <laughs> you're, you're trying to get divisive, aren't you, Dave? I know. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I kind of I kind of laugh at the the no the no roadmap kind of methodology. I don't I mean, I. And then you, you see, you read a little bit deeper into it and it's like, oh, well, you, you keep all the asks that someone has in a, in a document somewhere. It's like, okay, so there's a backlog. But yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, we rely so heavily on customer insights. Um, yeah. So we, we do keep a backlog. We try to keep it. I mean, it's, it's a feature backlog, so it's not really, 
you know, we, we don't really have a dev backlog anymore because mm -hmm. as pitches are accepted and shaped, ultimately that's when we create stories. Um, so it's, it's kind of living in, so we use product board, which free plug for them. Absolutely love it. It's brilliant for, for what we need. Um, but ultimately we use product board to determine what pitches we write. Um, so, um, we use intercoms rice methodology. So reach mm -hmm. impact confidence and divided by effort, um, to get a sense of what, what's bubbling up to the top. And then we have all these insights that we process from customers that go into a, a user impact score that we also look at to mm -hmm. say, okay, what's going to, what's going to have the biggest impact, um, and what's the, the, the number one thing that people have been asking for. And, um, and then we look at, you know, does this feature, does it move the metrics? Does it, is it something mm -hmm. just a bunch of customers have asked for, or is it an inspiration driver where we're really realizing the vision of what we have to do? And if we have zero inspiration drivers, um, we're having to go out proactively, get insight from customers to determine if it's something that's going to be valuable to them. And sometimes it's not, and we, and we just build it anyways, but, um, you know, that's for us, it's like, we need to figure out what pitches we want to write. And it's good to, to have a, a little bit of data behind that. And we try to keep it clean where, you know, stuff that's a year old is, is deleted because it's not relevant anymore. But, um, a lot of times we're, we're revisiting stuff pretty frequently because it's all in one place. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of curious, you know, um, being a consultancy, um, I think we do a really good job of bringing a toolbox to bear with our clients versus a playbook. And I, I don't know, for me, at least in my experience, uh, most companies have either worked with or worked for kind of fall into one of those two camps. It's either here's our way of doing it or here's just a series of things, choose your own adventure path. Kind of sounds like you've got a little bit of a mix of both maybe where Hey, we really love shape up. This is awesome for us. We're going to, you know, run that play, but at the same time, not discounting or forgetting that there are other things that you could pull, whether they're as simple as a roadmap or something more complex, mm -hmm. if the situation dictates that, Oh, you know, this, this actually would help us in this situation. I don't know if I'm, if I'm understanding that right, but I don't know. That's how I'm, that's how I'm hearing what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think that's, that's how we were. I mean, I don't, I don't subscribe specifically to one methodology. I think sure. there's, there's different phases of, of building products. And I'm also, um, mm. I'm also very sales minded. I, I think being a founder and, you know, always having the sales hat on, I think I do have to think a little more traditionally on like, we do have to have a roadmap. I do have to know um, where we're taking the product long-term. Yeah. Uh, we do have to be able to articulate that pretty clearly. Um, but, you know, I think it's, there are, there are pieces of, you know, playbooks uh, that, mm -hmm. that we've definitely taken from over the years that have made us a lot better. And I, I think I was just talking about this to someone yesterday where I feel like there's a lot more written about product strategy, which um, there hasn't been before. You just didn't yeah. hear a lot yeah. about the top level. How are we gonna? How are we gonna realize this vision? It, it's all been, 
you know, this is how we do agile or this right. is how very to build, tactical. Yeah. yeah. This is how to build a, a design system. Yeah. Um, you know, whatever it is. And you're re there's a lot more that's being put out there. Maybe it's just because like the chief product officer role is a little more of a common thing now. And I'm just targeted with ads with content all the time. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but I'm, I'm reading a lot of good stuff and it's influenced a lot of what we do. So just kind of taking pieces and parts um, and assembling a process and a methodology for how, how we build stuff. So I'm, I'm kind of curious, you talk a lot about customer interaction um, and you're using intercom. Uh, do you do any I don't know, focus groups or um, beta client groups, things like that? Or is it mostly uh, customer feedback through um, either support or um, like behavioral monitoring, things like that? Like yeah. how, are you, how are you mostly interacting with customers? Uh, we, we use a lot of different, a lot of different things. Um, so we'll always, oh man, I don't, I don't know the order of no particular order, <laughs> I guess I'll say. You can say all of the above. Yeah. <laughs> so we have uh, we have a customer advisory board, which is 15, 15 to 20 of our, you know, a, a smattering of customers. It's not just our biggest customers. We have representation sure. in the enterprise, SMBs, you know, different verticals. Um, and we, we use them as a sounding board to go way more forward looking than we do typically in more of a you know, targeted user experience or usability testing session where we'll, we'll actively reach out to people that have voiced that they don't like something or want something to improve. And so we'll, we'll keep those folks in the loop. And we do have a, a good base of people that regularly give us feedback. And then we, we, we've also launched a portal where customers can go online um, contribute feedback directly, and then we process those as insights and we can notify them when we're entering development on a specific feature or anything like that. And then obviously we have tons of feedback from our CS team and from their direct interactions with customers as it relates to technical support, you know, onboarding, implementation, bugs, you know, all that sort of stuff that, that should work better. we we have a direct line with them as well. Um, okay. And they're very hands-on with customers. So they're using our product mm. a lot and they're, you know, they're, you know, the, the biggest experts of the, of the product. So we listen to them a lot. Have you ever, have you ever run into a situation? I always love asking this question because it's, it's interesting to hear how people answer it where um, I would imagine you guys have some level of informed assumptions around here's where we're going to go over the next uh, pick a period, 12 months. Mm -hmm. And you get a lot of heavy feedback from your customer base that conflicts with that. <laughs> how, how, do, how have you guys handled those situations? Because I'm assuming they've happened. Um, yes. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think it's happened as much at PackSafe. I think, um, I think we don't do a great job of saying, here's what's coming in 12 months. I think we, we do it generally a, a good job of um, across 95% of our customer base, just articulating kind of what's imminent, um, what we're okay. about to begin work on. Um, and then, you know, everything else is kind of, we don't know when it's coming, um, but it's, it's in there, uh, you know, which a lot of people, a lot of people do. Now with yep. the bigger guys um, who want 
insight into the roadmap, into what's coming. They want to to contribute and weigh in, and in some cases, they may they may disagree with our our priority. I I just I generally um, I'm always a an it depends person in this in this situation because it if they are conflicting with a core thing that we're trying to drive forward. I do want to take a very close look at, at why that is, right? And um, because we we listen very closely to what our customers have to say. I, I also think you know one of the benefits we have is that we are a we're a first mover in our space. Um, we're teaching our customers about the law, about you know what's legal, what's possible. Um, and so with that, you know we're we're very much trusted advisors to our customers. So most of the time it's not we don't we don't think that direction is right most of the time it's they're they're taking it in and kind of because we're we're defining a new market in space so now in previous experience when somebody disagrees um i i've always been pretty sensitive to it as a product manager because you you want call it 75% of what you're working on and what your vision is to be accepted and understood and get people excited. And um, if I present it 10 times and five out of those 10 are not excited about it, then it's, it's probably not the right vision, right? It need, needs to be rethought or recalibrated and through conversation with, with other customers. Okay. Well, that's fair. Um, I'm, I'm kind of thinking you know, going back to your journey, you know, I've, I've heard, I don't know, my, again, my experience is kind of similar to yours, at least um, not necessarily being classically trained to do a job that I jump into or a role that I jump into, but it just happened to be this awesome mix of experience and skills work really well in this role. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like product management while I'll, I don't know, recently is starting to become more of that classically tra- trained role, there are courses and certifications and books and, mm-hmm. and training that you can go get nowadays. You, I don't think you necessarily need to have that, right? You, you right. can have an interesting five, 10 year career, get a, a good mix of experience. Maybe you, maybe you do have, maybe you, you are kind of wired to think more in the product realm. You know, I think that there are some uh, personality traits that lend itself well to being a good product manager. They're not required, but they help. Um, I don't know, you know, it seems kind of sometimes people are kind of thrust into a product management role mm-hmm. and or maybe they seek it. But what do you think were the keys to building those skills, building that early career to set somebody up to seek after a product management role? If I'm let's say I'm a couple of years out of school and um, I really want to be a product manager, you know, when I have enough quote unquote experience, what do you feel like people should focus on the types of maybe roles or skills they need to develop, you know, less so the training, anybody can go take a class, but what are the, what are the things they could do practically on their jobs day to day to start Mm -hmm. to build themselves to be a great product manager one day? Yeah, I think um, there's so many so many different facets that can make you a good product manager that are different. You know, it's not like um, you're good with numbers, so you can do bookkeeping. You know, it's sure. it's it's more 
to me, it's um, so many soft skills and I'm, I'm so bad at so many things that typically product managers are good at, you know, uh, it's kind of given me that perspective that, Hey, that's okay. You know, you just need to hire people that are good at that. Right. Sure. Um, but I'd say what's, what's really important um, to sort of sharpen your skills and think about a move into product management I mean, I'd say the most important thing, especially if you're trying to do it at your company or, or at a company specifically, is uh, subject matter expertise on the product. So it could be, it, it could be knowing the product that you want to be a product manager for inside and out. Um, and it could be um, knowing a market inside and out. Generally, it's a, it's a good combination of, of both. So who are you serving? What problems do they have? Um, so that, that's pretty easy to get access to and, and figure out. Um, but I, I'd say that's that combined with, um, really taking the time to buy into the vision of wherever you're trying to go. Um, the, the company, the, the person that you're going to be working with, um, and just getting to know the, the actual, the vision of of the company is, is tremendously important in, um, identifying and thinking through because it's really all about prioritization and understanding what to build next. And the people that are able to, um, pick correctly more times than incorrectly what to build next and driving the hell out of the adoption of that and get it, you know, and selling that to people internally to get it done. You know, there's, I think that's what really matters ultimately. And, okay. and so, um, with, by knowing the product that, uh, that you're working on really, really well, um, you can identify pretty well with what, what can be built. Um, so that means using it in a real world context, not just knowing what the buttons in the product do. Right. So it's for, for PackSafe, it's like, I need to use PackSafe to, um, you know, build a, I'm going to build a sample web app. I'm going to figure out how PackSafe plugs into it. And I'm going to go, go through the entire process of integrating the product so that I know how does it work? What went well, what was challenging, what would I do better? And, and all of that, you know, can be put in a spreadsheet and you say, this is, this is what a product manager does. It's, it's not rocket science. It's just kind of experience and, and, I guess getting it right more than, more than you get it wrong. You know, I, I think that's, that's ultimately the goal, but then it's, it's fine tuning the skills of defining, okay, if, if we worked on this thing for 12 months and it went really well and our customers were super happy with it, they love it. They're doing things they never thought they could do before. You know, what would that product do? Right. And ultimately being able to define that vision, think a little bit longer term, it's kind of the, the other skill I would say is, is super important. But other than that, it's like, you know, you can figure out how JIRA or Clubhouse works. You can re read up on development methodologies and, uh, and all that sort of stuff. But um, and I guess the third skill is just taking the time to learn how to listen and ask, ask questions and, um, and ultimately keep peeling back the onion on a problem and not try to solve it specifically, um, but try to solve it in a way that, um, I, I don't know. I, uh, like not, not solving solve it in isolation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's kind of interesting. interesting. 
Go ahead. Dave. I was gonna say, you made a, you made an interesting point. I think about like using your product kind of in context. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of times pe- people that are are builders and craftsmen, like they get so focused on the craft and the building that they forget to realize that like a lot of times we're tool makers, right? So we mm-hmm. like we're making a tool, and it's not about the tool. It's about it's about understanding the tool itself and how the tool is actually used by the people that are using the tools. So you need to understand mm-hmm. like what your product is, how it fits. And then I, I like you kind of went to the that last part of like questions. So one thing I, I, I'm starting to ask this of all product oriented people that I talk to, um, like asking good questions. I feel like that's something that is super important. But if I wanted to go learn about how to ask better questions, like there's not a whole lot of stuff to figure that out. So I've, I've started mm-hmm. to ask people like, how would you recommend to somebody how to get to be better at asking questions or start a podcast? Maybe like, well, <laughs> there you go. Um, but kind of key questions. Is there any particular questions over the course of you know you've done some sales stuff? You've you're doing sales stuff now, I'm sure as well. Um, like, is there a certain kind of you know question tools that you use like if i these are kind of like a couple of questions that i tend to ask that really help kind of really strike at the heart of what i want to get out of you know the information that i want to get out of somebody to really understand better do you have any question hacks for us oh man um i mean gosh i think in in pretty much any any role that that i've ever had i think it's it's the key to asking good questions is to not being narrow, narrow and too focused on Mm -hmm. your specific swim lane, right? Um, You are, because your product isn't just how people use it. um, Your product is helping someone do their job better. It's helping their business make more money or save more time. So ultimately you have to have a good understanding of the business, the person, their motivations. Um, and so really, I, I don't think there's, there's a specific question. It's more just taking the time to really get to know, get to know the people, get to know the companies that are, that are using, using your product. Um, because it's, it's so much more than just, um, in a sales context, for example, it's so much more than just someone wanting to buy your product or not. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's understanding at a deeper level how important is this problem to them. Do we have a good understanding of this problem in the context of their other roles and responsibilities? Mm-hmm. Um, do we have a good sense of the other folks involved and what their roles and responsibilities are and how invested they are in the success of this? Um, and, and it really is a very similar thing as you translate over into product. It's you're really trying to ultimately understand the person um, on the other side of the computer screen mm-hmm. that that you're that you're interacting with. And so for me, it's I like to keep it treated as like a, a conversation. You you really are you're sitting down for a for a beer or you know a coffee or whatever, and you've never met this person before and you want to get to know everything about them that, that they're willing to share. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the little time that you typically have, which is, you know, 15 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour or whatever, <laughs> you know, and just 
gradually trying to learn more and, and identify themes and try to, to pick apart ultimately the best way to solve key problems mm-hmm. that are important to them. Awesome. I love that. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like deep empathy mm-hmm. that then, you know, helps, helps you get in touch with where you need to go in that conversation. Yeah. And, oh, start and a I think too, it, yeah, <laughs> it's so true. It's just like, just give a shit, you know, it's like, that's, yeah. That's what I always tell people. It's like, yeah. just, just care and, and try to try to understand the root of what's going on, not just your role in it, if that makes sense. Don't, yeah, don't no, that makes perfect sense. That shines through in, in everything. You know, if, if a salesperson just cares about what's relevant to them, it's, they're not very fun to buy from, you know? Yeah, no, that's fair. Brother, thank you so much for your time. I love, Thanks I always love hearing me. about how PackSafe is going and yeah, just the things that you've learned along the way. Cause, um, I feel a kinship to not being classically trained in things, but happen to be good at stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just stumbling on it. Right. It's, it's yeah, very great. much so. I mean, we're very, very much lucky so. to, to have that fortune. I agree. Well, um, I hope you continue to find good ways to have productivity hacks with kiddos at home. <laughs> Thanks. If you if you guys have any special ones, let me know. Um, <laughs> nope. <laughs> if any of us do, we need to write a book because Disney Plus. That's the best hack I've yeah. yeah. <laughs> Learn to work during nap and bedtime. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Awesome, man. Well, have a great rest of your day. Have a awesome weekend, and we'll talk to you soon, man. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. Thank for you, brother. Me. Take care. Yeah. You too. Thanks.